Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Jesus has finished his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Remember, he's been praying for his disciples, which is for the eleven. And then in verse 20, he makes sure that he lets us know that it's not just for the eleven, it's for us as well. Now, in chapter 18, they've left the upper room. And Jesus leads his faithful eleven to the place he has chosen to be arrested. Now, I say he has chosen to be arrested because that's what's actually going on. And that's what this passage tonight that we're going to be reading is all about. He selected Gethsemane. And in chapters 18 and 19, we're going to see the Lord Jesus is in control of his own arrest and his own crucifixion. So, let's begin in chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 this evening. Now, we'll be doing some flipping through the New Testament, especially in Luke and John. But, if you will know, this is where we're going to start. Chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, that is everything in chapters 13 through 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples to the other side of the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, into which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often gathered there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he asked them, Again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way. In order that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then... Having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So the cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. As we start reading through here, and especially tonight in this portion, these first 12 verses of chapter 18, we're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is in utter, absolute, sovereign control of his own arrest. Look at all the clear evidences that are given here. Look at verses 1 and 2. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples, that's the eleven, to the other side of the Kidron Valley. That would have been dry at that time of year. It would be a dry wadi. Where there was a garden, and we know from the book of Matthew that the garden is called Gethsemane. We know from the book of Luke, chapter 22, that it's on the Mount of Olives. So he's crossing the Kidron Valley east of Jerusalem, going down away from Jerusalem, going up the hill onto the Mount of Olives. And he ent- there was a garden called Gethsemane into which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often gathered there with his disciples. <laughs> He goes out of Jerusalem, down across the Kidron, up onto the Mount of Olives. He and his disciples, he and his faithful eleven, are there alone. You see what he's doing? If he's arrested in the city, there's going to be a riot. And there's going to be bloodshed. Remember just a few days before. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. Hosanna. Save us. And the Pharisees and the, and the priests are saying. Make them hush. If you keep this up. The Romans are going to come down hard on us. The crowds recognize Jesus is their king. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, we believe that. He's the kind of Messiah we expect. Not the kind of Messiah he is, but he's the kind that's going to drive the Romans out. And they're just waiting. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting these days now. Jesus has done nothing but go into the temple and teach. But they believe He's God's man to set them free. He's their Messiah. You try to arrest him. You remember what the, the scribes and the, or I think it was the Pharisees and the priests together. They seem to be in cahoots now. Bitter theological enemies now politically in cahoots. They have one thing in common. They both hate Jesus. And I won't, I won't follow that rabbit. But you remember what they said. They said, we need to arrest him, but not during the feast, lest there be a riot among the people. Jesus knows that. He knows what the people expect. So he takes, and he knows now's the time. We're going to get to that in a minute. So he takes his 11 out of Jerusalem. So they'll be away from the crowds. So they'll be away from the city. So that they will be alone. So that there's no chance of his followers, the ones who have hailed him as on the triumphant uh, entry. There's no chance of them being in the way when the arrest takes place. He is in control of where he's going to be arrested. He's chosen and selected the place. Now, if he had been arrested, if he had allowed himself to be arrested in the city, there would have been riot. There would have been bloodshed. The Roman soldiers would have poured out of Fortress Antonia and would have said, this is it. We heard them. We knew it. We were expecting this. This is the beginning of the rebellion. 
And they would have slaughtered, they're telling, how many Jewish people in the city. And Jesus' enemies would have been vindicated. Because you remember what they said to Pilate. They said, this man is the disturber of the people. He's here in, Gal- here and in Galilee. He's telling people not to pay taxes to Caesar. He's preaching revolution. He's preaching revolt against Caesar. And that would have vindicated them. We're not going to let that happen. We're going out to Gethsemane. There must be absolutely no doubt about his innocence. There must be no doubt in Pilate's mind why he's been arrested. Pilate knows that. Remember we're told in Luke that he recognized that Jesus had been arrested because of the envy, the jealousy, yes, of his enemies. And in John 15, Jesus said, my this is fulfilled so that, or so that the scripture might be fulfilled. They have hated me without a cause. He's going to be an innocent man, tried as an innocent man, executed as an innocent man. He's making sure that Judas can find him. And that Judas and his soldiers can find him. Notice what it says in verse 2. Judas knew the place. For Jesus had often gathered there with his disciples, back when Judas was one of his disciples. So Jesus' plan was, we're going to meet out here in the evenings, or maybe late in the day, several days in a row, so that you know, this is the way we normally meet. Judas is set up, he's primed, he knows where to meet, where to find the Lord Jesus. Now notice that in this account, John doesn't say anything about the agonizing prayer that the Lord Jesus had that night in Gethsemane before he was arrested. Again, he's assuming you already know that because you've already read the synoptics. This is the last of the Gospels to be read. So you already know that. And then look at verse 3. Not only is Jesus selecting the place where he will be arrested. Verse 3. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, this cohort, having received the cohort, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Here Jesus is making sure that his own disciples won't seriously interfere with the arrest. It says here that Judas came with a cohort. That would be 400 to 600. 600 on the upper side. 400 on the lower side Roman soldiers Roman battle hardened soldiers armed Roman soldiers in Luke chapter 22 and verse 52 we're told what they were armed with they were armed with swords and with clubs The Roman soldiers would have had swords. And then notice what he says here. The officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. That would have been the temple police. They would have been armed with clubs. They carried clubs to maintain order around the temple. How many temple police? We don't know. Ten? Fifty? Wouldn't have been too many. Not compared to the Roman soldiers. Hmm. So, Judas, knowing where Jesus is to be found, comes with this large force 
armed force to take the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Why is it so large? Judas knows it's just going to be the eleven. It's that large because the Lord has determined it's going to be that large. It's going to, he's determined it's going to be an overwhelming force that comes out to arrest him. Because you have to remember back in Mark chapter 14 what the eleven had boasted. We will never deny you. <clears throat> well, Peter says, I'll never deny you. If necessary, if I have to, I'll die with you. And Romans 4, uh, excuse me, Mark 14, 31 says, and all of them said the same thing. Yeah. And then go to Luke chapter 22. And we, we see this interesting tidbit. Luke chapter 22. They're still in the upper room. Verses 35 through 38. Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Not a thing. And he said to them, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag. And whoever has no sword should sell his garment and buy one. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. For I tell you, that this which is written must be completed in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its completion. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. Wow, they've already got two swords. Who's been packing? <laughs> look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. See, in the past I sent you out and... You were in, in Judea and Galilee. You were among believing Jews. Those who were faithful to Yahweh. Those who were faithful to the prophets. Those who believed. And so you could live off the land, so to speak. You could live, as I told you, go to a house. They receive you, stay with them, preach there. But now you're going to be making disciples of all nations. You're going to be leaving uh, Judea. You're going to be leaving Galilee. You're going to be covering all of the Middle East. So take a bag, take some money, you're going to need money for the trip. <clears throat> when Paul and, and, and Barnabas and Paul and Silas went out, they took money from the churches to pay for their necessities. And also, buy a sword. Why is Jesus telling them to buy a sword? For tonight. And then... Up pops two swords. Somebody's already been carrying swords. Now the question also comes up. Why would he say two swords is enough? When he's already told them to buy swords. You see, Jesus is making sure his disciples don't interfere with his arrest. Seriously interfere with his arrest. If it's only a, temple, a platoon of temple police with clubs, if they had swords, there could have been a fight. And deaths among his disciples and among 
the temple police. And they might even have driven the temple police away. And Jesus would not have been arrested. No, that can't happen. We're going to make sure that even with your two swords, you don't interfere with what's about to take place. So it's not going to be just police with cudgels. It's going to be trained, battle-hardened, antagonistic Roman soldiers in the hundreds armed with swords. Now, the next question is, why would that stop them? Well, they might be willing to take on some civilians with clubs if they have swords, but they're not going to even think about attacking a couple of hundred armed Roman soldiers if they only have two swords. Then the next question, why would Pilate give Judas a cohort of soldiers to begin with? Well, they didn't give them to Judas. He gave them to the high priests and to the chief priests. See, the chief priest and the high priest, knowing that they're going to need an armed force to arrest Jesus, have gone to him and asked for soldiers. Well, why would Pilate give them? Because he heard the crowds during the day of the triumphal entry. He's heard his spies bringing him information that all Jerusalem is tense like a bowstring. They're expecting at any minute that this Jesus from Nazareth, this prophet, that they call him their Messiah, is going to lead an insurrection and throw them out. He's heard about the miracles that Jesus has performed. He may even have heard from his spies about Jesus raising the dead. So, yeah, we need to do whatever is necessary to maintain law and order. But we also need to get rid of this guy, Jesus, before a revolution breaks out. That's why he gave the priests a cohort. Now look at verses 4 through 7. So Jesus is making sure that Judas and the soldiers can find him. Jesus is making sure that his disciples won't seriously interfere with this arrest that must take place in order for him to be tried and crucified. And then look at verses 4 through 7. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus, well, that's, that's as far as I want to go, right there. Knowing all things that were coming upon him. Yeah, that's why he selected the garden. That's why he's making sure that there's an overwhelming force. Go to chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's make sure we've got this nailed down that Jesus knew exactly what was coming upon him. This is just before the upper room. John chapter 12. Look at verses 23 and 24. Remember, Andrew and Philip have come to Jesus saying, some Greeks want to see you. Jesus answered and said, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That hour has come for me to die and bear much fruit. Then look at verse 27. Now my soul has become dismayed. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He knows it's time. He knows it's the right time. It's the selected time. It's the foreordained time. Then look at verse 31. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I... If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was about to die. So we're back here in chapter 18. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him. He's already been through the agony of prayer. Because he knows everything that's coming upon him. How many times has Jesus told his 12, yes, his 12, that the Son of Man must be betrayed, must be killed, and must rise again the third, third day? I did a quick search all oh, yesterday uh, between the synoptics, and I know that many of them are talking about the same time. I figured at least five times he's told them that. So he's known that from the beginning of his ministry. And here he comes. And he sees the soldiers and Judas and the police coming up the hill. And he waits for them. No. What does it say? So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. He doesn't wait for Judas and his posse. He takes command of the situation. He doesn't wait for them to ask, where's Jesus? Remember chapter 10, verse 11? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus has now begun to lay down his life. He takes the initiative. He takes control of the situation. And he interrogates them. It's not, where's Jesus? It's, who do you seek? And so they say, Jesus the Nazarene and he answered them I am now your translation may have I am and he tacked onto the end in italics which lets you know that was added to try to help hopefully make it clearer no it just muddied it all up no he says ego I me I I myself am John 8 58 before Abraham was, echo, I me. I, I myself am. And they fell back. And they fell to the ground. It's an act of worship. An involuntary act of worship. This isn't like the, the man born blind. When Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man that he had just healed of his blindness says, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? 
Jesus says, you have both seen him and he's speaking to you. And the man said, I wor-, and the man we're told said, he didn't say, excuse me, the man worshipped him. Yeah. This is an involuntary act that looks a lot like worship. These are overpowered by his mere words, identifying himself. God incarnate, identifying himself. They're overpowered and they're cast down just like the demons were cast out whenever he spoke to them. This is a preview of Philippians 2, 9 and 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a little preview of what's going to happen in those days. For the vast majority of all mankind is going to involuntarily fall to their knees and worship Jesus Christ. To the glory of God the Father. Now who's in charge here? I mean, you've got 400 maybe armed Roman soldiers and let's say 20 armed police and Judas. And then you've got scribes and Pharisees and priests mingled in among them. And they come marching up the hill and they're going to grab this guy and they're going to drag him down. And Jesus says, I am. And they fall to the ground. Who's in charge now? If he wanted to, he could have kept them there all night on the ground. This had to rattle them. I mean, can you imagine? These are pagan Roman soldiers. What just happened? Just one guy says these, he says, I am, and we get knocked to the ground. But they're still on the ground. And he asked them again. So ironic. <laughs> you know, they haven't gotten up yet. So he asked them, Who do you seek? I mean, as if the thought that came to my mind is, is as if we would say, Hey boys, have you forgotten why you came up here? <sighs> he's making sure that the posse and his eleven realize he's no captive. He's no pitiful victim. He's not in their power. They're in his power. And this startling power that he revealed just now is in the moment of his greatest vulnerability and, if I can use the word, weakness. He's by himself. He's out there alone. He doesn't have the crowds to protect him. At any minute, he could stop this blasphemous assault against God's own son. He is in control of what's happening. And he's already predicted this. In John chapter 10, verse 18, he said, No one takes my life from me, but I myself lay it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So, here he is, the good shepherd, laying down his life. Mm. And then in verses 8 and 9, He, Jesus, gives them the posse 
orders. <laughs> Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way. In order that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. That was back in chapter 17 where he's praying this to the Father. Who's in charge here? He says, let them go and they let them go. He's making sure that his 11 are going to be free to witness his resurrection appearances in the upper room. If they're arrested, if they're taken to prison, if they're scattered, they're not going to be able to gather together in the upper room after his resurrection and witness his resurrection. He's making sure his 11 are free to talk with him as he appears to them multiple times over the next 40 days after he's resurrected. He's making sure his 11 are free to witness his ascension back to his father's house, back to his throne in heaven. He's making sure his 11 will be free to be together as one when they are indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He's making sure his 11 are going to be free to preach a resurrected Jesus Christ to the multitudes on the day of Pentecost and see 3,000 saved and see the church of Jesus Christ visibly established. If they're arrested, if they're put in various jails or prisons or even executed, they won't be able to do that. No. I'm going to have my witnesses. He's making sure of that. His, he's making sure that his own confident claim to his father will be fulfilled. Of those you have given me, I have lost not one. The Lord Jesus Christ gives this formidable armed force an order. Let these go. And they obey him. In spite of Peter's rash impetuousness. Look at verses 10 and 11. Simon Peter. Here we go again. Simon Peter then having a sword. Where did he get the sword? He's been carrying for some time. He, he's probably one of them that whipped out a sword when Jesus said go buy swords. Well, look Lord I've got one. You know. He's been Jesus unofficial in his own mind bodyguard. He's going to protect his master. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it. Now, Jesus has said, let them go. And now Peter just jumps up after Jesus says, let them go. And he springs into action, messing it all up. He had a sword. He drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off, cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. This John's account is the only one that gives us the slave's name. Obviously, Malchus had been told, make sure you bring Jesus back. And so he's up there near the front and he's reaching out to take hold of the Lord Jesus. And Peter, Superman, Super Trooper, jumps out with this 
pulls out his sword and swings it at Malchus. And he is such an amazing soldier, he misses his head and cuts off his ear. Now, it's probably because Malchus ducked. But still, he cut off his ear. Now, what do you expect to happen now? You've got 400 anti-Semitic Roman soldiers. They're having enough problem with the zealots. They're suspicious about any Jews. Now, they're wondering why so many of them have had to come up here on the hill. Is there going to be an ambush? Does he have his, his, his supporters out there? They're ready. And they're trained. Muscle memory kicks in. Talk to any combat veterans that have had any, uh, any, any com- considerable training before they go into combat. And you ask them, what were you thinking when you were in combat? Thinking? I wasn't thinking. Training kicked in. Muscle memory kicked in. You just start acting. You don't think about it until after things have really gotten going for a while. What do you think these trained Roman soldiers who've been in combat in Gaul in, in, uh, against the Parthians, against Jewish insurrectionists, what do you think their response would be when somebody jumps out right in front of them swinging a sword? Muscle memory's kicking in. Training experience is kicking in. They're going to slaughter everybody. Way to go, Peter. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. Mm. In Luke chapter 22, verse 21, Luke says, Jesus says, Stop! No more of this! And he touched his ear and healed him. He says to Peter, stop, no more of this. And Peter freezes. And the Roman soldiers freeze too. Jesus is determined to accomplish his father's gracious will. He is going to rescue all those that the father has given him from the wrath that we deserve. He settled it in his own human weakness. I mean, let's face it. Jesus is a man. He knows what's coming. We have no inkling of the hideous horror that he realized he would endure on the cross. Suffering God's wrath, and I'll make a statement here, the triune God's wrath, for all the sins of all his people for all time. We don't don't have a clue. He understands that fully. In his humanity, he understands that fully. He stared it in the face. He sweated like great drops of blood as his humanity is going to have to be brought into submission to what he's facing. And he settled it. Not my will be done. But yours. He's made sure. That he'll be outside of the city when he's arrested. He's made sure Judas will be able to find him. He's made sure that his faithful eleven will be protected. So that they can witness his resurrection. And his glorious power. As he lays his enemy down at his feet. 
Nothing will keep him from his appointment with the cross and our salvation. Not even the foolish bravado of one of his most committed disciples. Stop! No more of this! Put that sword back in its sheath. And he heals Malchus' ear. Peter, I'm determined to drink the cup of wrath that my father has given me. I'm going to drain it to the last drop. Don't get in the way. That's what's going on here. Now poor old knee-jerk Peter thought he was protecting Jesus. He was Jesus' unofficial bodyguard. I've got a sword. In Matthew 26, Jesus tells him, it's not here in John because it's already in Matthew. Jesus looks him in the face and says, don't you realize I could ask my father for more than 12 legions of angels? Anywhere from 60 to 72,000 angels? And we know the old Saul. It only took one angel to wipe out 185,000 Assyrians. It only took two angels to bring down fire and brimstone and wipe out Sodom, Gomorrah, and all the cities of the plains. I can call 60,000 of these hideous, horrible, all-powerful, unbearable warrior messengers from my father. I don't need your protection. Peter... I'm protecting you. And so as soon as Jesus diffuses the situation, we see in verse 12, so the cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. In other words, first century handcuffs, the equivalent of first century handcuffs. They arrested him and they bound him because he allows them to arrest him and bind him. And of course they, they didn't understand it's not necessary to bind him. He's going to lead you back to Jerusalem. The good shepherd is laying down his life for his sheep. He's in control. Utter control. So what's the point of all this? God decreed to save you from his wrath before the world began. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit set their love on you before the world began. So, since they had determined to save you from the wrath that we deserve, the Father sent his Son into the world as a substitute to fulfill his justice so that His justice would be fulfilled in his wrath being satisfied in his son's suffering. The son is going to exhaust an empty hell for us. We will never taste hell. He's going to drink it to the last drop. And so the Lord Jesus Christ set himself unswervingly to do that for us Hmm. nothing is going to be allowed to interfere with his arrest with his trial with his condemnation with his crucifixion he is going to be crucified on Passover in spite of what the religious leaders want to do he did drain 
the cup dry on Passover. So why? Well, my vocabulary is not good enough to come up with the right words, but let me stumble, and as Calvin said, speak in baby terms. Jesus loves his father that much. Yeah, you, you can't quantify agape, but that's the only way I can say it. And the father loves his son that much. That he's going to make sure that out of these wretched sinners, his son will have a pure and holy innumerable multitude to worship him and glorify him and love him forever. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit love us that much. And just as the Lord Jesus was unswervingly determined to absorb all his Father's wrath for us. So that he would purchase for his Father that innumerable multitude to worship. He and the Father determined to keep us from apostasy. To fully conform us to himself. And to welcome us finally into the Father's house. That's what this is all about. So we shall always be with the Lord, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. So the next time we have opportunity in prayer meeting to praise our God. Let's remember what happened in the garden at this time. Let's remember who was in control in the garden. And let's praise him for that. Stand with me please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.